Welcome to Collateral Banter, episode 98. I'm your host, Danny T. This is a podcast on current events and politics in the year 2021. We're wrapping up the year. I just wanted to podcast on something I hadn't done before. I wanted to talk about two stories that clearly did not get the attention they deserved because, you know, in today's world, all the stories are basically the same. You just go through them and you're like, yep, yep, okay, yep, whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, it's all the same. We're screwed. It's all terrible. And uh, the stories I'm going to talk to you about today are themselves pretty scary. Just going to speak from from what I read. So I'm going to take you back to 1986. Chernobyl. That's right, former Soviet Union. There is a explosion and contaminations spread in the air. And essentially the Soviet Minister for Hydrometeorology, Yale Israel, Israel, Yale Israel, he has to make a decision. He has to make it essentially rain. He has to make it rain. You know, we hear that terminology all the time now. So his choice is he needs to make sure that the contaminants from Chernobyl don't contaminate a major city in Russia, especially as the potential for rain would cause the contaminants in the air to fall on people during the rain. So this Soviet minister for hydrometeorology decides to make it rain using silver iodine. And by using that, he makes it rain on southern Belarus, small villages. They get the contaminants from Chernobyl, although they didn't do anything. They were essentially the victims of poisoning, of of killing people. And the reason I remember all of this is I was listening to NPR in the summer And I remember them talking about the Soviet Union using technology to manipulate the weather. And I was blown away. I was like, when did that happen? Who had that type of technology? I had no idea that governments had the power to manipulate the weather. I didn't know. I didn't know. But to read about Russia, Soviet Union doing that to Belarus in order so their citizens in major cities didn't get contaminants, is horrifying. A very difficult situation for for anybody because you clearly don't want this to happen to anybody, but it's in the air. So if it's in the air and rain begins to fall, it is going to contaminate not only the people living in that area where it's raining, but it's in the soil. Nuclear power, nuclear bombs... Okay, I've been correlated to a lot of potential diseases, thyroid disease, thyroid cancer, uh, low sperm count. Again, there's only correlations. There isn't a link. But that said, it's terrible to know that in 1986, I was two years old, that people were, were essentially experiencing rain, precipitated 
by fighter planes, essentially shooting silver iodine into the into the clouds, and that precipitated rain on people. But the rain wasn't just regular rain. It was full of Chernobyl's uh, contaminants, Chernobyl's radioactive material, radioactive isotopes. Everything that, that was from Chernobyl actually spread beyond Chernobyl. And it didn't stay in the vicinity or in the area. It actually spread all around the world. The article that I, I should find and link this episode to is from The Guardian. talks about how the contaminants eventually reached Cumbria in England. Contaminated the soil and the ground. All because of one thing that happened in the former Soviet Union, that nobody in Britain did or had any say over or had any control over. It does show you that there are, we have the technology of something that can exist beyond borders and impact people in, in, in ways that we are only beginning to understand. And I mentioned the story of the Soviet Union in 1986 because you must be thinking to yourself, like, what is that? why is that important? Because the technology now is being used by the Chinese government. This year, in July 1st, when they were celebrating Chinese Communist Party during a celebration on July 1st, the government used cloud seeding technology as they called it to remove contaminants to remove the dark clouds to make it a little brighter in Tiananmen Square as they celebrated the Chinese Communist Party and that's so fascinating to me that they wanted to make the weather better they wanted to make sure that the polluting clouds and skies didn't affect the celebration But more startling to me is governments now have the power to manipulate the weather. Look, I try not in this podcast to sound like a crazy nutcase. And maybe sometimes I do. I always try to be judicious and try to withhold uh, bombast. But what does it say that the governments have the power to manipulate the weather? The weather, man. I mean, that's incredible. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I, you know, again, I hear one story about the Soviet Union in the summer. And then I read a story only a couple months ago about the Chinese manipulating the weather for their celebrations. And of course, the Chinese technology was far superior to what the Soviets had. The Soviets had... You know, just a couple hours after the explosion to to make it rain. I, I'm going to be honest with you. When I think about that, I always think about somebody throwing money down on people. That's the, that's the understanding today. I'm going to say that's not the understanding when you really begin, the, begin to understand the power that the government has to make it rain. I don't want it to make it rain. All right? I don't know what's up there. You know, I'm not saying there are, you know, if there are nuclear tests going on, Aren't we affected by it? It doesn't stay in the area. It travels 
based on weather patterns, wind, it, it just travels. And so when you have now an explosion, Fukushima in Japan, right? That didn't happen too long ago. What happened to the air? Did that affect Japan or did it go elsewhere? Well, where, where did it go? Who, who was affected by it? Who around the world is being affected by nuclear technology? You know, it's fascinating to me too. In the last couple months, and I almost bought into it, is the belief that, you know, to, to stop CO2 emissions, we, we all got to get on the bandwagon of nuclear power. We just do nuclear power. People need power. Wind and solar aren't good enough, and we need to do it. We need to invest in nuclear power. And look, if, if there were promises about safety, I would understand. I would be like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe. But what do we do with the contaminants? What happens if there's a, a catastrophe like Chernobyl? By the way, I haven't watched the HBO show, but I guess I should. But either way, you know, we need energy. Solar and wind can't match our energy needs today, so let's get back to nuclear power. And that scary part is, yeah, and whose lives are we going to risk with that, right? I mean, if people in England were impacted by Chernobyl and southern and villages in southern Belarus, they didn't do, they didn't weren't, they wouldn't have any choice over what happened in Chernobyl. They didn't cause it to happen. They weren't. They weren't influencing those decisions really directly. And yet the world paid the price for it. You know, and, and that understanding that we're all really interconnected, especially when it goes to this type of technology that can transverse borders. You know, contaminants in the air from a nuclear catastrophe Don't just stay in borders and say, oh, well, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I guess this needs to stay in the vicinity that the explosion happened. That's not how it works. You know, that reminds me of the virus. You know, you think about Chernobyl. I think about the pandemic. People are like, oh, no, it's the government wants full control. No, it's a global pandemic. The global pandemic will end when we see rates of vaccinations at 90 plus almost everywhere around the world. Maybe that, and I don't know how high it has to be. That is when it will end. It won't end anytime soon. The pandemic will not end anytime soon because not enough people around the world have been vaccinated. I haven't talked enough about that, but let me throw it out there. Until global, we have a global effort to vaccinate people, double vaccinated, and people are like, well, what about the cost? Well, you know what? There's a cost right now of Omicron and all these things. But we have to start thinking really strategically about things that don't follow our institutions of borders and countries and nationalities because the challenges that we're facing today aren't defined by our borders anymore. The pandemic, climate change, nuclear catastrophe. I mean, we, we need to change how we look at politics. And I'm not saying this is easy. And I'm not saying that nationality or countries or institutions don't matter. Although people usually think that when you start talking about global efforts. But you know what? If North Korea does nuclear testing and people in Australia pay the price for it, it's a matter of time where all hell is going to break loose. 
mean, why should people suffer in Australia if there are nuclear tests going on somewhere around the world or in the United States? I mean, and who knows who gets contaminated by nuclear testing? We don't know. I mean, are people following the weather patterns to seeing, oh, wait, is it going to rain over there? Oh, my God. That means that that area, those crops, those people who live there are going to be impacted by this. And we don't care. I mean, it's terrible, man. Wow. It's, oh, geez. I, but it, 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 is, it is eye-opening for me to understand that that's the reality. All right. So that's one story that, um, you know, I just had to share. Chinese government does have cloud seeding technology and they can manipulate the weather two hours prior to their event on July 1st of this year, they cleared the skies. Eh, Not even that great, but they cleared it somewhat to make it a nice celebration for people. Soviet Union did it in 1986. Imagine when America must be able to do with the weather patterns, right? Yeah, I know. Conspiracy theorists talk about this issue, but this is real. These articles were published. They're real. I gave you real names. I will put the links to the articles. This isn't made up anymore. It's real. Okay. But I want to move on quickly because I got to make this episode short. The other article that I was fascinated by that came out this week is by a name of a guy who used to work for the Border Patrol Department, Department of Homeland Security here in the United States, who, by the way, went to interview a journalist. And before he interviewed the journalist, he puts the journalist's name in a database and researches the journalist. And this this story should be much bigger than it was. And I get the January 6th story was slightly bigger and got a lot more attention. But the fact that Department of Homeland Security is looking up journalists is a real story that deserves light and attention. I mean, especially for journalists, right? I mean, they're talking to sources. They're talking to people. If people in the Department of Homeland Security are investigating journalists and seeing who their contacts are, and according to one person, his name is Jeffrey Rambo. It's great. Rambo, that's right. That's, that, that is standard operating procedure. Now, the Department of Homeland Security and other officials must say, nope, he violated the rules and policies. We don't do that. What's the truth? Well, we need to expose it to what really happened, right? I mean, not enough people care about civil liberties because we've, we've come to accept no sense of privacy. But this involves journalists publishing materials that are important to the public, right? And this involves government intimidation of journalists, government following journalists. Does anybody care? No, nobody cares, right? It's like, up, story, move on. And by the way, the article, which was published in Yahoo News, which I will definitely indicate here in the show notes, was a 36-minute read. That deserves attention. Because it's not just so simple. The government is just following journalists, move on, what's next? It's how is it being done? How is it being manipulated? What else is really happening? You know, there's a story very few people know about here in the United States. And this was done by the AP, so not Yahoo News, but AP, I want to say it happened in 2010 or 2012. And they talked about a department within the DEA, within the department inside the Drug Enforcement Agency, 
There is a special division called SOD, S-O-D. And what what happens in SOD is they essentially obtain information, usually about drug dealing, of course, but they obtain it illegally. They obtain it through a wire, through a wire, uh, through eavesdropping on conversations. But they know they can't use what they've taped, what they've recorded, because they didn't have authorization from the courts. Right. However, what they end up doing is they have that information and they share it with police departments. Right. But then they tell the police department, you can't say where you where this investigation originated from. So you have to create something called parallel construction. You have to create a parallel construction of the origins, which are obviously tainted. Like I said, they did. The police did not have authorization to eavesdrop, to listen into conversations that were happening. But however, they know something's going on. So they just want to pass it along to different departments. I mean, that deserves an inquiry. It really does. And the public should know that the ability of somebody to obtain information without warrants, without approvals from, from judges, without probable cause, but then sharing it with the police departments. And, and the sad part about the story is if I go to email the journalist, they're sort of like, yeah, that was published. Yeah, I guess a lot of people aren't interested. Are a lot of people aren't interested in what's really going on? It's like when, when you hear sometimes Steve Bannon talk about flood the zone. We've been flooding the zone long before Trump and, and the right wing you know, takeover of the country. Flood the zone is, is like the economy today. Flood the zone. Just flood it. Just who cares? Just throw crap all over it. People won't figure out what's really important. To me, I, 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 I can't read all the stories in the world that I want to. You know, it, It's a lot like there are so many books that I buy, and that's my kryptonite. I just buy too many, and I wish I could read more. I wish I could read quicker. Maybe that's my issue in life. But the issue with, with buying so many books is a lot like information. We're in information overload. We have so much information, and we also don't know what to do about it that we sort of just protect ourselves and just go through our regular cycles of accumulating money without actually trying to change things. Sure, there are activists today, but who can be a full-time activist and pay bills, right? And I think that that's the greatest problem with our society today is everybody's a spectator. You know, they call it, what, spectator democracy? I've heard the term just recently, monitor democracy. We just monitor things. Oh, look. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's terrifying that, that this conversation about media and what really matters isn't had enough. Like we can't yet process and understand what it all means because it's, there's so much of it coming at us all the time. But it should frighten us that like Department of Homeland Security is looking up journalists through in their very powerful database about what what we do, what we know, who we hang out with, you know, stories about romantic relationships. I mean, is that right for them to use that information about you? Imagine the manipulation that the government could do to the media if they have that sort of data on people. Blackmail, threats. 
destroying lives, destroying careers. I mean, that's where we are, you know? So, you know, look, my opinion is Trump is sort of a conservative autocrat because that's his instincts and that's his mentality. But people who largely support him see it probably as a savior of democracy because they want to reinstill their values and ethics and their views of the world. They want a hierarchical society and they you know, want more traditional values instilled in people and across society. They must see 1968 as this great aberration of deviancy that they must now go out and conquer, right? And I mean, that this is the sort of feud and fight that we're having right now. I mean, and then that's the story we have today, right? And I, I want to end it with just to share my last, my, my viewpoints on the conversation about control of bodies and control of women's reproductive rights. The way I understand this conversation about a woman's right to choose is, let's not forget, it's a woman's right to choose. In China, I can condemn it because there women didn't have a right to choose. The government said, you know, one, one child policy, huge mistake they made. You know, the real success of governments is contraception and planning and sex education. I mean, you want to reduce abortions, sex education, contraception, pills. We have the, te- if we're manipulating weather, we can probably control the ability to have people reproducing, you know, instead of having 10 kids, have three or four kids. Nowadays, people don't want to have kids, which all goes back to trying to control women's bodies and reproduction. But my main point is, I would never challenge a woman's right to choose, especially not in a world where you cannot, where you do not have universal, you know, appropriate sex education, contraception, almost at demand, at will. What can, what better than medication and powers to control people's ability to decide when they get pregnant? But I actually believe. Above all else, here's my theory on this. Why, why today we're, we're trying to, to have women, force women to have more children. Here's, here's my conspiracy theory. I'm going to end it with this. Let me explain this. The elites want people to have more children. Why? Because they're worried 20, 30 years from now, we're going to have fewer kids and we're going to have fewer employees and workers. And if you have fewer employees and workers, businesses are going to have to pay them more money. And let me tell you how powerful that is of what I just told you. In a book called Why Nations Fail, two scholars write that the Industrial Revolution happened in Western Europe because the Black Plague, the plague that erupted in Western Europe, killed off so much of the population that the landed elite had to pay their people more money. There was less humans. So in order to get them to work and, and, and you know, survives, they had to give them money. Here's money. Hopefully you live a little better. You have a little bit more food. You can work longer. So the Industrial Revolution... Begins to take off there. Those people who are working and saving a little bit of money eventually bought up some land. The enclosure movement, right? They began to see property, right? So that change is really important. But it all precipitated because 
of the Black Plague that erupted throughout Western Europe and killed off from, I've seen numbers of 40 to 50% of the population. That's, that's demographic change. And yeah, women, women going out, and A, women getting education is the number one reason why they have fewer children. I mean, that's been pretty well established now, I think, for like decades. Women going to school, it means they will have fewer kids. Just is. You know, you see it today in a lot of poorer countries around the world. If women are rooming in rural villages and don't go to school and they stay home and they get married, what do you think they're going to be doing? If not raising kids, they're going to be making lots of babies. And again, I, 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 I'm not worried about this because we have 7 billion people. And the way, if we're already manipulating weather, imagine what's down the stream in 5, 10 years about you know conquering disease, living to 125, 150 years old. That's where we're going with this. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm a pro this. I'm not against this. Again, I, technological change is important. We have to adapt to it because it's the only thing we know how to do. You know, you know I have a love-hate relationship with technology, which I'm sure to discuss in future episodes, but that's what I believe is going on. Collateral Banter, episode 98. Wait for episode 100. It's coming. I'm, I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to do it early next year. Collateral Banter, Danny T. You can check out old episodes on pretty much every podcasting stream available. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, bye.